Well, we're going to go right into our teaching today. We're in Third John, which is we've been talking about the things that are urgent, and today we're going to get to the urgent influence. Now, we're in the second week of this little series called Urgent, and this is a four-week series that really focuses on four qualities that you just that, that just can't wait. That as Christ followers, we need to get involved in this. And we're taking this series from these four really little short books of the Bible. Uh, and that's uh, 2 John, 3 John. We've already been in 2 John last week. We're going to be in 3 John today. In two weeks, we'll be back in another one called Jude. And then we'll end up in Philemon. Now, these are really brief letters. And as I shared last week, when somebody writes a brief letter, you know it's urgent. Otherwise, like Paul, who could write these really long letters, like to the Corinthian congregations, or to the Galatians or Ephesians, he'd have a big, long letter. Then he had to find somebody who could go to Rome or to go to Galatia and deliver it, and the people would pass it around. But when John and Jude uh, and Paul decided to write these little postcards, if you will, they were meant to get out there and get out there right away because there was something going on. This is extremely urgent. Now, last week we looked at Second John and the urgency of love. And here you go, Joel, to paraphrase George Strait. If you ain't loving, you ain't living. Now, uh, the rest of the song goes kind of downhill from there. But essentially, <laughs> yeah, he's not going to sing that song to you today. Uh, but uh, that's true. If you ain't loving, you ain't living. That's kind of the message of Second John. Now, today, Third John talks about another urgent aspect of the Christ followers walk. And that's choosing who's going to influence you. Who's your influence? Now, over the years, uh, I have uh, often spoke on the subject of leadership. In fact, this next week I'm doing uh, what it means to be a Christian leader in today's world. And I've actually written a book uh, on leadership called Lead On, Leadership Lessons from the Life of Nehemiah. Now, all of this is kind of aimed at how we can approach being positive influences, which is what Jesus called us to be, a positive influence in our society because, as someone has said, all leadership seeks to accomplish one goal, and that goal is influence. Leaders want to influence somebody else, hopefully for good. Now, we need to choose with great care who we're going to allow to influence us in life uh, to shape our thoughts, our beliefs, um, our attitudes and behaviors. Now, if we go back to the Old Testament, Solomon, who was the original wise guy, he was the smartest man who ever lived. In Proverbs 22, he said, do not make friends with a hot-tempered, hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. That's the wrong form of influence. Don't hang out with bad guys. That's the message that Tyson and many other guys heard at Angola. If you want to hang out with the predators, that's your problem. But if you want to hang out with Christians... Who do you choose to have influence you? Now, maybe some of you have heard this essay. It was written by Dorothy Law Nolte. It's called Children Learn What They Live. I'm going to read just a small part of it. Uh, She said, if children live with criticism, they learn to condemn. If children live with hostility, they learn to fight. If children live with fear, they learn to be apprehensive. If children live with pity, they learn to feel sorry for themselves. If children live with ridicule, They learn to feel shy. 
Well, we commend mothers and grandmothers and aunts and godly women who have influenced their children not by doing those things, but we know those things happen to children in our society. Now, that little thing was written really as a warning to parents to be careful how you influence your children. I'm very thankful to be married to someone who influenced our children well. And I'm sure that many of you can reflect on, you know, godly. For me, I was raised by grandparents. So I had a great grandma. She was tough, but she had a good influence on me. I had aunt, an aunt around me who influenced me toward good. Now, um, the flip side of this uh, is that uh, believers need to take a stand for themselves today and instead say, for some people, I have to unlearn what I was taught. And as much as I love my, let's say my mother, my grandmother, my aunt or whoever, I'm going to not let their mistakes influence my life. So we're starting to them looking for a better influence. Now, as we study influence, we have find out that there's two ways for you to be influenced. One of them is inadvertently. Uh, maybe you could call it influenced by osmosis. Now, when I grew up, I had three really good friends. Didn't take very long for us to be known already in first and second grade, as I discovered yesterday, as I communicated with one of them. We were called the Rat Pack. Can you imagine first and second graders already being called the Rat Pack? Now, how did that happen? Well, we probably had a head rat somewhere. and I, I'm not going to say if it was me or the other three guys. But this was called peer pressure. I don't know how many of you grew up influenced by peer pressure. That's inadvertent influence. Now, the other one is intentional. Uh, this is where you decide for yourself, this is who I'm going to listen to, and this is who I want to be like. Uh, the old commercial a number of years ago was that I want to be like Mike. Remember, I want to be like Michael Jordan. I want to be like this person. So there are three things in this book. This is where I'm getting to. Urgent letter that says something about choosing your influence. Now, what are they? Here's the first one. Choose influences that honestly care about you. Now, here John writes something. I think the words are up on the screen. Yes, they are. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. Isn't that a great thing to be able to say about your kids, your grandkids? I have no greater joy than they're walking in the truth. Now, here's somebody who generally cares about somebody. Now, let me take you back to your school days, whether they were in grade school, high school, or if you've gone on to college or into the military. You can probably resonate with this too, Jeff. You probably had a few teachers or a few instructors along the way who didn't really care much about the kids in his class or her class and didn't really care much about the subject they were teaching. I mean, their style of teaching was just um, give the facts, take it or leave it, pass or fail. And at the end of the semester, at the end of the quarter, they didn't even know who, what your name was. I walked out of a seminary class one time and the guy stopped me. He said, now, what is your name again? And I thought, I've only been here this semester. And uh, he didn't know. And when I told him, he just walked away. And I don't know if he was just making notes to watch out, make sure this guy never gets into ministry or what. But uh, then there are those of us who are really lucky to have great teachers uh, who are really passionate about it. 
And, and they just absolutely loved their subject. They loved the kids. And they were able to take something as bland as, uh, for me, math and geometry. I never did understand that. Or history or language. And then they make it kind of feel like it's come alive for you finally. And so you love those teachers. And every chance you got, you want to be in his or her class. Now, there's a motivational speaker by the name of Matthew Ward who said, every person... Understand, I'm talking about you. Every person has the power to make other people happy. One person does it simply by entering the room. The other person by leaving the room. <laughs> now, which one are you going to be? See, if I were to, let me give you an example. Uh, you know people like that every chance. You choose the person who brightens your day by walking into your life. Now, I'm not a financial person, uh, and Nancy can testify to that. Uh, she takes care of that, and, and I thank her for that. But if I were to seek financial advice, obviously I'd look for somebody who knows a lot about it, uh, knows a lot about investments and money management. I'd also look for somebody who knows me and cares about me and doesn't look at me as just one more way to pick up a quick buck but would like to see my financial situation improve. Now, this also works on a spiritual level, spiritual level. Uh, now, I read a lot of books. I listen to a lot of sermons. Uh, but the person who has the greatest influence on me spiritually are the people who actually love me. Now, you think about that in your life. The people who have the greatest influence are the people who actually love you. They care about you. Now, I, I'm very fortunate because I got three guys here that I've known for a long time initially called the Grind Guys. Today are part of Restore Guys, Restore Corps. You know, these are guys that I, I could walk into a battle with. Uh, they may not like what I do. I may not like what they do. But in the end, you know, we are in this together. And they gen we genuinely care about each other. And I think the people in Restore are the, kind of the same way. We've all come together, different backgrounds, but we're all here together to influence one another. Now, here's the second thing. Choose influences who walk the talk. And again, John says these words. Dear friend, you're faithful in what you're doing for the brothers, even though they're strangers to you. Now, we seem to have new people walk in almost every week. We welcome those strangers. So he's telling us you have an opportunity to influence these people for good or for bad. He said, but they've told the church about your love. You do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. It's for the sake of the name they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such men so that they may work together for the truth. But then he's going to shift gears. He said, there's some, there's some good influences. I, I want to thank you for this. He says, but let me tell you about a guy by the name of Diotrephes. He says, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, loves to be the important guy, will have nothing to do with us. So if I come, I'll call attention to what he's doing, gossiping maliciously about us. Not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Now, just reading that, you're going to say, uh, who do you want to be influenced by in this situation? John or Diotrephes? Now, all of us have probably been in a situation where we have followed diatrophies, unfortunately, for a period of time. We get caught up in, you know, yak, 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 maybe after a church service or whatever. 
instead of building up, we end up tearing down. Now, what he's saying here is, he goes on, he says, Dear friends, do not imitate what is evil, but what's good. Anyone who does what's good is from God. Anyone who does evil has not seen God. So he's saying, you've got to look for people who walk the talk and, and do what they do. Now, for example, let's use the Apostle Paul. Some of you are familiar with him. It's kind of interesting. Several times in his books, he makes rather bold statements. Paul says, imitate me. Now, if you're going to say that, I mean, if I'm going to stand up here today and say today, friends, imitate me. Now, some of you might go, "Mm, I'm not so sure. You better be pretty sure of yourself and your position and who you are in Christ before you tell other people to imitate me. He also said, follow my example. In other words, do what I do. He also said, uh, you know, follow my example, do what I do. You can't go wrong following somebody like St. Paul. So in choosing who influences us, we need to ask the question, does this person practice what he or she preaches? Do I see in his or her life what I hear in his or her words? Now, I want to add a a word of caution here because we're talking about words in a way. And we're also talking about actions. I have another poem. You've probably heard this poem before. I'm I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it kind of goes this way. I'd rather see a sermon... Then hear one any day. And some of right now are kind of going, yeah. (laughs) I'd rather one should walk with me than merely tell the way. The eyes of better pupil and more willing than the ear find counsel is confusing, but examples always clear. The lecture you deliver may be very wise and true, but I'd rather get my lessons by observing what you do. For I might misunderstand you and the high advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. Let me give you a shorter one. Maybe you've actually heard this before. A quote from St. Francis Assisi. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. Now, the spirit of that first thing and the quote are good. It makes a valid point. Our actions do matter, but what's more is actions usually speak louder than words. People are watching what we do. But I want to have throw a but in here. But first of all, St. Francis never said that. And second of all, neither of the things that I just read to you present a very good, uh, very good um, approach to relating with other people. Now, the answer the question would be why? Well, first, the reason is, in many cases, a lot of people use their actions because they don't know the words. They are afraid to say what it is they truly believe. And that's why we want to disciple people into what they should know so that the opportunity comes, you can actually say something to somebody. I mean, how many times has the gospel not been shared simply because we embrace the kind of a version of Christianity that doesn't exist? That all we have to do is walk around and look nice and be nice and act nice. Now, we need to do that, but somewhere... The gospel needs to come. See, that's the second reason more important. The Bible tells us there are certain truths. Faith comes by what? Hearing. Oh, it doesn't say faith comes by watching somebody, does it? Now, it may ultimately lead somewhere to they do what? Hear. And hearing by what? You know how that goes? Faith comes by hearing, but hearing comes by the word 
of God. Now, other people hear when somebody else declares the message. Now, you can love people, and you should. You can serve people, you should. We did that a week or so ago over at White River. Uh, You can care for people. You can model a good life. You don't kick the neighbor's dog when he does his stuff in your yard. You don't. You don't yell at people. Uh, you know you 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 need to uh, cre- create curiosity. Eventually, maybe that's why your life is. People want to know what's different with you. And there's just something strange about you. And then you have the opportunity that what is strange is how they've seen how you've acted, and now you have the opportunity to do what. To share the good news, to share the gospel. Now, you can love people, serve people, care for people, model a life. Your actions are going to nudge people in a certain direction. It's going to create that curiosity that I said, but there comes a moment when you need to tell them your story, start to finish. Well, let me tell you about how I come to know this. I teach a little triangle down in prison about how to witness to somebody else. Now, sometimes people. When they have famous people come to the prison, they flip it. They, they spend all their time talking about how, the, how they were evil, wicked, bad, and nasty. And they go on for 20 minutes. And they say, but one day everything changed and now I'm a Christ follower. Okay, let's flip that the other way around and say, let's spend the most time on how I came to know Jesus. This is how it all happened. And that got me out of doing this and I no longer do that. A little bit different. You need to talk. You need to talk about sin and redemption, death and resurrection, why it matters. See, the truth is that no matter how much we try to live in a certain way that reveals the presence of Jesus, words will still be needed. And at some point along the way, everyone needs to hear and comprehend the content of the gospel. Here's the third thing. Choose influences with a good reputation. Now, John goes on. Remember, he's already talked about Diotrephes. He said, don't follow that guy. This guy's a bad guy. He thinks too much of himself. Bad mouth to everybody. You don't want any part to him. He said, but let me tell you about Demetrius. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. You can always say, they see what he's done and they hear what he said. We also speak well of him and know that our testimony is true. Now, a person's reputation gives them street cred. Uh, I've learned about that in prison, what street cred is. Uh, they, they say, hey, Doc, you got favor in this prison. And I, first time I ever heard that, I said, well, what's that mean? I got favor. He said, oh, come on, you know what that is. You can go anywhere you want, anytime you want, and they just let you come through. And I said, well, what's that got to do? He said, everybody knows who you're related to. And I had to stop and think, well, my wife's not, not here right now. And they said, Warden Kane, because of your relationship with the head person, you have favor. Now, the same way, if you are related to the head person, God the Father Almighty through his son, guess what? You have favor. You have street cred. You're able to talk to people. And there are exceptions, but most of the time this is true. This is why Paul when he's writing his letter to Timothy, uh, said that a leader should have a good reputation with outsiders. Because most of the time a reputation a person has is the reputation that they've earned out, sometimes in the community, as opposed to what they learn in the church. Solomon put it this way, a good name is more desirable than great riches. Now, why is that? 
Well, it's because a good name is harder to earn, harder to hang on to. So when someone over the course of time has maintained a good reputation, well spoken of by good people, you can put a lot of stock in what they have to say. Another reason is because of time. It's pretty easy to make a good impression in kind of like a wow factor, factor let's say, you just put it in church, in one sermon. But can you maintain that over a 10-year period of time? So choose to be influenced by people who have great Christian maturity, uh, who built a, a life of leadership. Now, the question comes down to one more time. Are we going to be influenced uh, inadvertently, peer pressure, or will we be intentionally influenced? Will we be the product of our surroundings, our culture, the people we just happen to bump into, or will we choose to allow certain people to speak into our lives? See, look for people who care about you. Uh, look for those people who walk the talk. Uh, look for those who've earned a good name. And when you meet those kind of people, listen to their words. Now, there's one last thought, and this comes, I'm going to back up to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, he said, For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. So in other words, there's our pattern to follow. If you're going to be influenced by someone, follow Christ who left you a pattern to follow. He's our example. And the word used here for example in the Greek comes from elementary school education. Now, Kathy, do you teach in elementary school? Do they still teach handwriting? I do. You do. Okay. And you probably understand this. And I remember this because I hated it. Because I know I knew how I wanted to do my bees, but I had to go. <laughs> and uh, when I handed in a whole sheet one time of this, Miss Bartle said, um, "Do you enjoy recess, Barry?" And I said, "Yeah." Well, not today. You won't. <laughs> and I said, "Why?" And she said, "You see this little uh, notebook? It's got about three pages that are blank, and I want you to fill it with three pages." Of bees. Now there's a smart aleck part of me that want to go, <laughs> and I'm like, bees. She says, not these, <laughs> these. You know, around, up and down, and around in a little loop, and then like that. And I sat there and I copied. Okay, now what's this got to do with the example here? It says, Christ has left you an example. This this word, for example, comes from Greek elementary education. It describes the way young Greek boys learned how to write. They would be given an exercise tablet, not a tablet like kids have today where they're playing with the entire time. But it was kind of a shallow box that was filled with soft wax. And a student had a stylus, and on one end it was flat so he could erase his mistakes, and the other end had a point where he could write. Now, the teacher prepared the tablet by writing a line at the top of the page, probably in what's that, the Zaner Blozer method of handwriting, those things, the charts used to be in front of every classroom at one time. And then the student would take the sharp end of it and then would copy that line. All the while, the teacher would step in occasionally and draw a line under to make sure that he didn't go off the page or go down, but made sure he stayed where he was supposed to do it. He would copy that, draw parallel lines to keep the work straight, 
And the master's line at the top was the pattern. Now, what on earth has this got to do with Christian influence? Well, here you go. Jesus, as our example, has four simple little facts. And here's number one. Jesus already left us the perfect example. We can't find a better example to follow. He is the perfect writing copy, if you will, we strive to reproduce in our own life. I want to be more like, not Mike, I want to be more like Jesus. Second of all, he's the example of right conduct. Maybe some of you were in school and a teacher said to you, you know, if you acted more like Anthony (laughs) or whoever, choose who you want, you wouldn't get in so much trouble. See, we strive to imitate the manner of Jesus' life. We strive to follow Jesus in living by his word. The third thing is Jesus actually intended us to walk by his example. Peter writes in, in his first letter, For to this you were called that you should walk in his steps. My grandpa was the janitor at the church, the school, and the parish hall. And where we lived was about probably about two blocks from the school, but it went through what we called a draw. And just a kind of a, a little valley. But in the winter, it would snow a lot in Nebraska. And so we would put on our four buckle overshoes and we'd walk to the school. Now, I discovered very early on that the easiest way for me to get to school was to see where my grandpa has been walking and for me to step where my grandpa had stepped. Even though, as a little kid, his strides, even though he wasn't a big man, were longer than mine. And every once in a while, I'd stumble, and he would yell, Get up. <laughs> Come on. we got to get going. we got to get the school going. So he gave me, I just followed his example. I walked in my grandpa's steps, but today I walk in his steps. We're called to God's service by imitating Jesus in our life. Now, the fourth one is Jesus' example is more than just the perfect pattern. Following Jesus uh, brings blessings that make us perfect in him. Uh, Following his example gives us the assurance of eternal life. Now, I thought about singing this song today, Joel. I I didn't choose it, but I I thought about these words. And every once in a while, while I'm writing a message, I I think of some old hymns, because I grew up where I had to memorize a lot of hymns. We were never allowed to sing in church without memorizing the hymns. And if we were going to sing a mighty fortress of our God, we we're going to memorize all four verses in English and in German. Yeah, auf Deutsch. But I remember them today every once in a while. And I'm thinking about a pattern. I got to thinking of a song and I actually was kind of humming the melody. I'm not going to inflict that on you today. But the hymn is called Jesus Lead Thou On. Maybe some of you grew up, you kind of know that. And if you don't know it, maybe if you're raised in church, you'll recognize these words. Jesus, lead thou on till our rest is won. And though the way be cheerless, we will follow calm and fearless. Guide us by thy hand to the fatherland. If the way be drear, if the foe be near, let not faithless fears forsake us. us. Let not faith and hope forsake us, for through many a woe to our home we go. Jesus, lead thou on till our rest is won. Heavenly leaders still direct us, still support, control, protect us, till we safely stand 
in our fatherland.